Hello and welcome to The Green Stream, a podcast brought to you by Sustainable Business Network Detroit, a network of partnerships between Southeast Michigan stakeholders, innovators, and changemakers. Each partner is on a mission to advance and amplify sustainable business practices, and we're here to learn from, share, and help activate a sustainable way forward for Greater Detroit. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review and join the conversation on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And head over to our website, sbn-detroit.org. Now, let's listen in to our conversation with today's sustainability leaders. Hi, I'm Terry Barclay, President and CEO of Inforum and Chair of the Sustainable Business Network of Detroit. And welcome to the Green Stream today. We have a very special guest with us that I'm really excited to talk to, particularly because the timing's so good, because uh, recently her organization had a very big announcement that they made. So um, Jessica Robinson is our guest on the Green Stream today, and she is the co-founder and partner of Assembly Ventures. But Jessica has really a long track record and a distinguished track record as a mobility investor, an entrepreneur, um, educator, and champion of Detroit, uh, to, to be honest. So Jessica, you have such an incredible background. And originally, I thought I should just list off the <laughs> previous roles that you've played and the many ways you've impacted, but I thought it might be more interesting for you to introduce yourself and just share a little bit about your background and how it led to where you are today. Sure, Terry, thanks. And it's really a pleasure to be here for this conversation today with you. As you mentioned, my journey to this point is um, a, a diverse one and a little bit of an unconventional one. And I think the easiest way to sum it up is you think about a table with different roles that someone might have over a career. I've sat at many of those different seats around the table, culminating to this point in my journey as a, a co-founder and partner in Assembly Ventures. But that journey um, started years ago um, on the West Coast where I actually made a career transition into the mobility industry at Zipcar, which for those that have been following the space for some time might remember, it was one of the earliest mobility as a service companies. But for me, that operating experience started then and translated all the way through from that time with the high growth startup. We had a chance to go public, which was a very exciting but very rigorous process. And I learned a lot during that stage. That brought me to Detroit where I connected with Techstars and their mobility program that was here but had a chance to join the broader organization, helping them scale corporate uh, accelerator programs with partners, both locally, but internationally. So I got to see a variety of different industries very quickly, but also see how corporates and startups work together well, and a little bit of where they don't also. And I, of course, saw the role of venture funding. That journey led me to Ford, where I started on corporate strategy and ultimately built a group out within the company focused on next generation transportation in cities, and then uh, created a nonprofit locally focused on transitioning engineers and talent that we need in this mobility workforce. 
And then uh, most recently, of course, co-founded Assembly Ventures. Uh, we started our journey in 2020. And Terry, as you mentioned, we announced the fund uh, just yesterday. So very timely news. But again, those seats moving around the table from high growth startup to startup accelerator to corporate working with startups or even internal efforts and now venture. So um, I'd like to think that that experience sets me up well to both identify opportunities in the marketplace to potentially go and invest in, um, but as importantly, to help the portfolio companies that we do decide to work with to help them grow faster and smarter. So I just have to say, I love that analogy of you sat in the different chairs around the table because it is important and it does make a huge difference that you have had experience with mm -hmm. all from all all those different perspectives uh, it's it's actually ideally preparing you it's an ideal preparation for for your current uh your current adventure and yes. um i i think it's important to underscore that because uh so often we think of careers as linear you know it's like you move in one direction and um, this, obviously there is a direction, but I love the variety of experience. There's absolutely no substitute for that. So so <laughs> we just have to talk about the big announcement of the $76 million mobility fund. Um, but I think that brings you to uh, $94 million that you're managing. Just tell us, uh, what is this about? What are the goals? Um, the first transatlantic effort in early stage of investing in this space. So tell us what you're up to. Absolutely. And I'm I'm really pleased to have two great co-founders along with me in this journey. Chris Thomas, who's here in Detroit, and Felix Schäufelin, who's in Berlin. And it, it for those that follow the auto industry, having a presence in Michigan and Germany makes a lot of sense. But in the venture space, it's a rather unconventional idea that um, those would be the centers that you try to build uh, a trans transatlantic bridge from. Um, but the reason we've done that is to take advantage of the industrial strength and the manufacturing and design strength of regions like Michigan and Germany, while also tapping into innovation centers of the Western world. Um, so when we started out on this journey, we believed quite strongly that there were opportunities for new mobility technologies in this idea of the physical and digital movement of people, but also goods, data, and energy. And that combined with the transatlantic footprint and again, this idea that um, regionalization is going to shape you know, the next decade, at least, of this industry, that really uh, resonated with the market. And so as we were building the fund, we were um, lucky enough to identify a number of great partners and investors in the fund. Um, but again, as importantly, uh, put uh, that money to work to invest in some uh, really fantastic companies, which I hope we'll have a chance to talk about. But yes, the news is very fresh. Uh, we couldn't be um, more proud of um, having the 96, um, excuse me, the 94 million total in management um, during what has just been a crazy uh, past couple of years, if you think uh, think about back to 2020 when we got started. 
A absolutely. And we will talk <clears throat> more about some of the specific companies. Um, first though, could you, could you say a few words about, I'm really curious about your perspective about how investing in sustainable ventures impacts our communities, because I know about your long-term passionate commitment to our community in the Detroit area. Um, what's that connection? Yeah, and it's funny, Terry, as you talked about my career being uh, non-linear, I think the only linear part of that story is time <laughs> moving in in one direction um but the the additional piece of my story which i think is relevant here is i studied anthropology in school and uh, ended up working during my time in school in consumer packaged goods specifically as a tea importer um, and bear with me because this this does get to the root of your question which is as i started in that industry i saw firsthand um, what agricultural development um, meant in um, other parts of the world, India and China, uh, Sri Lanka and Africa. And I was very part, a very early part of the movement toward fair trade, um, but also the kind of increase in the focus on organic foods. And being in that industry at that moment in time, I also saw a lot of greenwashing where um, there were efforts to show responsibility, but not really do the hard work behind it. And that combined with the entrepreneurs that I got to work with very early in my career, I think set for me a guidepost that um, you can have great businesses, but uh, for me personally, not at the expense of a broader set of values. And so this idea of connecting sustainability to our communities, but also investing opportunities um, was, was for me set very early. Um, but within the work that we do at Assembly, and I think even more specifically around mobility, I touched earlier on this idea of um, new regions emerging um, and even reindustrialization. And if you think about what's happening here in Southeast Michigan, you know, again, one of our portfolio companies announced their first plant will be right here. One of the main um, reasons that the state of Michigan got so excited about that deal was that it would bring 2,200 jobs to Michigan. And these are manufacturing jobs in many cases, but the headquarters is also here. They do R&D and marketing and so many other things. And so if you imagine um, this reindustrialization playing out, places like Michigan, we really do have a chance to win with both good jobs, but also for companies that um, are working in clean energy or new technology that's gonna really um, move things forward. And I think the other thing for us as the fund is we are not a um, quote unquote impact fund. Um, we are at the end of the day, financial investors driven by maximizing our uh, investors return for them. Um, but again, not to the exclusion of identifying the best opportunities in the marketplace. And I think that's what's really special about this moment in time for mobility is there are these other drivers, including sustainability, which really push the companies that we're talking to or choosing to invest in to both understand their own impact, but link 
the way that they think about impact and metrics that they might use, how they talk in the marketplace to business KPIs. And that's where I say there was, there's greenwashing, there will be greenwashing. Um, there's a risk sometimes of running too far after one metric, but we really see an opportunity um, if done well to, to balance those two, which is to say, how do we have a set of values, sustainability access or other things as well as the financial metrics. Um, and I would say to, to a company, everybody that we've um, invested in so far brings that to life. Interesting. <clears throat> could, uh, could you talk a little bit more about the services that Assembly Ventures offers, because I think people see $76 million or $94 million and think purely about the, the money mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. you know the investment. But um, as you pointed out, you have a truly extraordinary, deep, you know, rich background um, and have so much more than just dollars to bring. And I'm sure your partners mm -hmm. do as well. Um, and you're investing in early stage where that knowledge, um, experience, and quite frankly, connections that you have uh, with markets are very, very important to the mm -hmm. success of startups. So could you could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, you know, our, our day-to-day is as venture capital investors, as you said, working with early stage companies and as context, when you talk about seed through series B, where we invest, these are companies that have a founding team. Um, they hopefully have, you know, some technology or a business model that is working to some degree with an early um, product market fit. Um, but many times the journey ahead of them is quite long in terms of a technology roadmap, fundraising roadmap and, and scaling. And so, when we think about opportunities, we do try and understand where we can jump in at an optimal moment where our networks or our experience can help the companies. And so for assembly, I think there's a couple main areas that, that have emerged. Uh, one again is this transatlantic bridge uh, where a company maybe sits in Europe or in North America and is exploring the opportunity to customers in the other geography, expand their business, develop a relationship again here in Southeast Michigan with the, the supply base that we have. Um, we've been around long enough to, um, to be lucky enough to know many, if not most of the decision makers at the companies that you want to get in touch with. So uh, helping with introductions is always very important. Um, we've been able to support uh, economic development dis discussions in a number of cases to help our companies think about where they want to locate here, even in, in the U.S. Um, but the other is in the world of investing, there's funds like ours um, that maybe have a specific focus around mobility or energy, maybe even impact. But there's also the corporate investors um, that are, you know, an automaker or an airline uh, manufacturer, energy or um, materials. And so I think about uh, the one company, uh, Sorterra, that we led the Series B for, and here was a, a company that had a, a corporate partner that it was excited to work with as a customer, 
but also bring in as an investor. Um, but we were able to put the deal together in a way that worked for everybody, for the, the corporate, for the um, supply agreement, uh, for the company we're investing in, and you know, for our investors as well and the fund. So sitting in that world that crosses over with the corporate um, has given us the experience and I think enough credibility in the market to know that people can trust us that if we're going to put a deal together like that it's it's well thought out and there's a couple uh, examples of other conversations we've had along those lines um at the end of the day though i mean i'm an operator through and through felix who sits in germany uh is as well and so more than anything um we like those opportunities to roll up our our sleeves and uh, get in and, and support the companies um there's infinitely more work to do than they have hours in the day. And so being able to lend our expertise uh, really does make a difference in some cases. That's that's just so true. <laughs> it is so true. The shortest resource for any entrepreneur is time. And so yeah. to, to have that boost has got to make a huge difference. Maybe now's a good time. I mean, I, I don't know how much you can talk, but um, what can you share? I'd love to hear about some of the companies that you're investing in and what they're up to. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, as I was thinking about this discussion, um, and, and again, this question of how does sustainability play out for each of us, uh, I was really excited to 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 really remember that it plays out in in our full portfolio. Um, I think the the most obvious example of where sustainability emerges for us is with our next energy. They also go by one, which is based here in Michigan, and they're an energy storage company that is working to double the range of electric vehicles, um, but also bring that technology to grid storage and. What's interesting about this company, in addition to being in a very competitive and uh, spotlight is on the battery industry right now, um, but the technology that they're developing for those batteries uh, has some advantages that we ultimately came to believe were, were quite profound. Um, and those advantages include um, an iron-based chemistry, which has a very significant safety benefit which um, when the battery experiences um, uh, duress, um, heat crashes, things like that, it's a very sustainable battery and it doesn't go, or durable battery, excuse me, it doesn't go into that thermal runaway that uh, we've, we've all seen in the news now. Um, so it's, it, again, a very safe chemistry, but it hasn't been used by the industry for some time because there were some range trade-offs, which I won't get into here. I could talk about batteries for our, for hours. But the, the advantage here is it's a safer chemistry. Increasingly, it can go as far and farther than the current battery chemistries that are on the road. But we can also take out some really unfortunate um, uh, minerals that the industry has come to rely on. Cobalt being a really good example of this. Cobalt is in many of the sophisticated batteries that we have on, on the road and in our handheld devices. Um, there's a new book out, which is called Cobalt Red, which talks about um, the mining practices and situation in the Democratic Republic of Congo. It's pretty awful. And the chance to have new technology that eliminates a material like that uh, is really transformational for this industry. So again, we're very excited about that. And it goes back to safety 
supporting the electrification of the vehicles on the road, but really deeper in the supply chain as well. Um, we have a company I alluded to, Sorterra. They're actually another Midwest company. They're based in Indiana. And what Sorterra does is they have um, artificial intelligence tools and software that enables very fast industrial scale sorting of recycled materials. And they're starting with aluminum, which is a key component of lightweighting in our vehicles. Um, but there's also many other sources of um, consumer or post-consumer aluminum in the market. It could be siding or other um, parts of a vehicle other than the frame itself. Um, and by enabling the recycling of this aluminum in a better way, um, they are taking tremendous pressure off the supply chain for primary aluminum. Um, in the industry, we've historically made a trade-off favoring primary aluminum because in the re-alloying or adding of chemicals to, to these materials, they decrade over time. But if you do a better sort, you have true circularity. Um, and so we're able to do that with this technology in a way that when you eliminate that primary aluminum, you're actually knocking out 95% of the energy required versus primary aluminum. So when you think about the CO2 and all of the other things that come along with an energy consumption, of um, primary aluminum smelting, it's pretty significant. Um, but this is an industrial company. As I said, they sit in Indiana and they are incredibly down to earth people uh, in terms of what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. But again, that's what's so special to me is they do have this sustainability impact that again, aligns with something that industry needs. Um, and then maybe you know another example, and again, I could talk about our companies all day, is a company that I sit on the board of in Germany. It's a company called Navit. And they looked at um, the evolving personal transportation space where you have bicycles, you can walk, you, you know, lease a car, maybe your company provides you a car, there's public transit, there's the scooters, there's the ride chairs, there's car share, the, the list goes on and on and on. Um, and for years now, entrepreneurs have tried to figure out ways to make getting around on those different modes easier. Um, whether it's booking or mapping or things like that. Um, but the one of the fundamental flaws in the system is that for many, particularly in Europe, your employer pays some side of some sort of mobility benefit. Here in Michigan, a lot of folks have company cars. Um, in Europe or you know some of the West Coast cities I worked in, you get a bus pass. But again, that doesn't is that the full story of how people want to move around? And so um, what Navit does is they work directly with employers to put together mobility benefit programs. The employer can load cash or the other benefit into your Navit profile. And one of the, and then you kind of go about your day in a, in a seamless way. Um, but one of the things that's really special about this company is driven by some regulatory policy in Europe, companies are required to understand their carbon footprint for their employees' commutes. And there's no good way to do that today. It's manual um, at best. You're just kind of, you know, with a spreadsheet uh, taking your best estimate. Um, this software aggregates all of those trips, does the calculation for you, so you get on a dashboard what your carbon footprint is. And then your company, as a participant in the Navit program, uh, can choose which carbon offset um, 
uh, projects you want to participate into, something that's aligned with your company mission. Uh, so all of that commuting ends up being carbon neutral, uh, which is, you know, again, something that's really important for companies, small and large, as they move to um, increasingly a carbon neutral goal. <clears throat> Oh my goodness. See, this is what happens to me. I hear about these guys. I want to invest in them all. They just, just how exciting to be able to work with these, with these different companies. And I'm sure you've got many more on the way um, that you're, that you're talking to now. Um, so one of the questions I have, I have a couple more things I'm curious about. Sure. Um, one of them is, and this is something we don't often talk about, but um, what does it mean? I mean, I, I'm the CEO of an organization, a business women's organization, a, a large <laughs> one with uh, women from all walks of life. What is it like, uh, what does it mean to be a woman in your job, in your space? You know, oh, wow, yeah. A female co-founder of a of, of VC-focused uh, on companies that move people? Yeah, there are not many of us. I think we have to, to start with the honest reality there. Um, I think within that question of, of what is it like, there's you know my own personal experience day to day, but I think there's also this question of what is it like or what are the advantages? Um, you know, in the personal experience, I mean, there are many days where um, you know, I, I may be the only woman in the room or at the table, um, but the board of Navit, for instance, the, the rest of the, the board members, aside from the co-founders, are women. Uh, that's a very unusual uh, situation. So, you know, I, I am seeing progress in, you know, the time span of my own journey in venture. Um, I think the, the other piece where I'm validated, if you will, to be sitting in this space is as an operator, where gender or race or anything else aside, um, my history speaks for itself. And uh, at the end of the day, when you're a startup trying to figure out which is the best path forward for your company, you don't care. You just right. want the best answer and the best support. And you're thrilled to have someone in the trenches uh, fighting alongside you for that. Um, and I think that that speaks to the second point, which is, um, you know, it is my own lived experience, but I do believe when you have diverse voices around the table, um, you get a better outcome. And you see that, I see it every day in asking questions a different way or seeing um, uh, a problem within a problem that maybe is just kind of looked over and it ends up being a really important question or topic of conversation. And I'm sure some of that is attributable to, to my gender, but I would also say it does speak to the, the unusual path that I took to this point where, you know, I wasn't an investment banker and did a bunch of deals and went out and raised the fund. I've been, as I said, in the trenches and um, that experience matters when it comes to building great companies. Um, so it is definitely a journey. 
there are days when you catch me on highs. There are days when you catch me on lows. Um, but I, I am, you know, thrilled that, you know, I have built my own seat at the table uh, for this next chapter of my journey and um, am definitely aware that um, that has kicked some doors open and I'm excited for uh, those that I can hold the door open for so they can come running in after me. Well, you need to know that we are all excited for you and how your hard work uh, has led led to this this point. It's it's really very, very exciting. So so the the other thing that I'm curious about is Assembly Ventures own commitment to sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, can you can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, it's funny as I as I mentioned previously, we as a team never identified as this impact fund, but increasingly we do see all of our companies having real impact um, on the world and in on the planet. And so, what I'm excited about for kind of this stage of our journey is one figuring out how to tell that story in a meaningful way. Um, but also for the companies that we're working with to um, continue to refine what those metrics are that they're tracking. Um, And that's something that, again, being an early stage company, uh, you have to make trade-offs with your time. And so I think for all of our portfolio companies, they know that um, this is part of their, their value and their mission. Um, Some have made it much more explicit than others. And I think we're excited to kind of walk them on that journey as we also do that telling the story of our own portfolio. Um, But there are other examples if you kind of expand this idea of sustainability to um, maybe even resiliency for the industry we invest in, the industry that we represent, um, and how do we make this work for the long run. I mean, venture has had booms and busts. There have been wildly successful mobility companies. There have been wildly successful mobility companies that, you know, run off a cliff and and you never hear from again. Um, And I think within that sustainability, it goes back to people. And as I mentioned, coming on my time at Ford, founded a nonprofit focused on education in this space. I think people sometimes are an underappreciated aspect of sustainability. And what I mean by that is at the end of <laughs> the end of the day, you know, we are building these systems for ourselves here on earth. And how do we um, make sure that they um, really let everybody move forward? And talent goes into that, good jobs goes into that, clean jobs go into that where you're safe in your work environment. Um, but as as I, you know, kind of live the change as a venture capitalist, I also try and spend lots of time um, mentoring people that um, maybe have also had an, an untraditional or non-traditional path to this, um, that, you know, founders that didn't go to one of the fanciest schools, neither did I, um, founders in regions that are often overlooked um, people of color, LGBTQ, I'm intentional about where I spend my time mentoring because as I said, I want to kind of open the door there. So that's kind of on the people side of it. Um, and then the, the broader picture I think for assembly is um, 
we will continue to explore these mobility systems, the applications that sit on top of them and the infrastructure below it, and really think very critically about how they all tie together. Because mobility is not, it's not a dating app. We're talking about the physical world here and mining and materials and massive infrastructure and that orientation around sustainability or again resiliency how do we build something for the long run um, is is fully embedded into our thesis and so um, what I'm excited about now is to to keep that lens and challenge ourselves to move forward as we look toward the next uh, investments that might be on our horizon. Oh my goodness, fascinating and uh, well said. Um, uh, we could actually talk about this for days. <laughs> but I'm kind of curious as we kind of look at wrapping up, um, what do you see as the biggest challenges? You've, you've been talking about this, but what do you see as some of the biggest challenges facing uh, the mobility industry in the next five to 10 years? And and maybe some of the biggest mm -hmm. opportunities, because it very much feels like we're at a moment where things can really uh, grow and take off. But would love to hear your view. Of course, yeah. That's the, that's I would say one of the the funny or interesting things about being an investor is uh, some days I feel like all I live in is problems, and what I mean by that is. Uh, any growing company, there's growing pains every single day. Um, you know, we're growing quickly ourselves. So there's always the, the fires to put out. But the to a to a company, the the people we choose to work with are the ones that see a problem uh, and say, I know how to fix this. And so you're always thinking about, you know, what's not working, what's the biggest challenge, and not like, you know, this is kind of a, an annoyance and it's a little challenge. We're talking about big market defining existential challenges. And so, you know, when you come, when you live in that world every day, it's cliche, but it's true. You have to think about every challenge as an opportunity and then say, what does it take to win when faced with one of those challenges? Um, so when I think about mobility and, and where we are as an industry, um, there's no denying that we are increasingly at a moment, as you say, around electrification. Um, I am personally very optimistic that as consumers start to experience this technology reliably, not paying for gas, um, I personally hate going to the gas station. It adds no value uh, in my life. If I can do things like that seamlessly, I'm confident that consumers um, will start to to gravitate toward electrification. Um, but within that, there's all sorts of other complications. Is our energy grid ready? Are there sources of the energy that we're putting into the grid as clean as they could be? And the answer is we've got a long way to go there. We have a long way to go toward making sure all people in our community have access to, to charging or bus stops or you know any number of things. So I think that intersection between energy and electrification uh, is going to be a really interesting one um, for the, the, the years to come. Um, we have two industries that have kind of risen up next to each other and 
there has been thought leaders for longer than I've even been in this industry trying to figure out how to mesh them together, but we haven't done it at scale yet. And so that's what I get excited about there is the rising of these two industries and the infrastructure and electrification of vehicles coming together at scale. Um, I talked about iron and cobalt and aluminum. I didn't talk about bauxite, but ask me about bauxite mining. Um, the companies that we've invested in um, have in many cases a material intensivity to them. And I think that there are still real hard questions that we have to ask in, in North America, in the Western world about our expectations for mineral access. Um, if you look at maps of where um, many of the minerals come for batteries and electric vehicles, it's from China. Um, and we have regulations here in North America that protect land and water and people when it comes to mining. Those two don't necessarily square without real thought and real policy about what we want to do and how we want to move. So I think there will be opportunities in minerals uh, and materials more broadly, the circularity included, but I also think that it's gonna be really, really hard. Um, and you add geopolitics into it and there's no easy solution, but it's an opportunity. As I said, we like big problems. There's a, there's a big problem for you. Um, and then the, the last one that, you know, I think as an as a industry, we can be self-critical and honest here is the stakeholders that we have at the table. Um, and I get excited by some of the things I see um, kind of as a, as a business operations of finding ways to bring stakeholders in, whether it's um, moving from kind of sequestered little R&D labs and kind of launching our technology in the world um, to actually doing real user studies. And I mentioned anthropology, like sitting with people and understanding how they move about or what their expectations are on a day-to-day -day -day basis, but also decision makers, um, having industry consortia engage with community organizations, but also, you know, some of the biggest companies that are out there um, actually sitting down together um, I didn't say it was going to be easy, right? We're talking about big problems here, uh, but I think there's opportunity there. And increasingly, whether it's Fortune 500 all the way down to startup, I see an awareness of companies need to fit, needing to figure this out. Um, and I think our our investments and the companies that we work with will sit on many of those tension points. Um, so I don't have a crystal ball. I have hopes uh, for each of those big challenges, um, but I am confident that the technologies that we, we personally will invest in uh, do in many cases sit at those intersections. Fascinating. I, I, I have to tell you, I've been making notes. I feel like we need to send a reading list out. With yeah, we could do that. You know, I, I really think we need to do that. So we'll connect, <laughs> we'll, we'll connect about that because I've been writing down names of books as we've been talking <laughs> um, and have a couple to share with you afterwards as well. Um, Amazing. That, that I've been reading. Um, gosh, Jessica, I, I honestly don't know how to thank you. This is just really, really fascinating. And uh, your work is inspirational. Um um, it sounds like there's hope 
that my range anxiety is going to be addressed in the future. There are good things coming. Yes. <laughs> there are good things coming in. And that's always a good, that's always great. Um, thank you so, so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here and to have a chance to tell our story to the community. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, everyone, for joining the Green Stream today. Thank you for tuning in to the Sustainable Business Network Detroit, the Green Stream podcast. Remember to like, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure to follow us on sbn-detroit.org and stay tuned for more conversations on sustainability from inside and around the city. 